I don't like the limiting beliefs. I don't like the just enough attitude. There's more than enough. And give yourself the blessing to give. Support everybody that you can support. I promise you, it will come back to you unconditionally, rapidly, and accurately. Everything you want will be provided for you by giving to others. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. When I say amazing, I mean, this might be one of our best episodes ever because I'm sitting down with the legendary David Meltzer. Now, you already know who he is, I'm sure. He's the famous sports agent and CEO of Sports One Marketing. And prior to that, he was the CEO of the world's most notable sports agency ever, Lee Steinberg Sports. He's been an entrepreneur featured everywhere and is literally one of the best experts in business and finance that you will ever find. Now, speaking of being an expert in business and helping other people grow, I am beyond excited that we have finally launched what you guys are asking for and honestly, what might be one of my all-time favorite products that we have ever created because we just totally overserved on this thing. And that is our early stages mastermind for entrepreneurs that are between 50 and $250,000 that need to further understand and better learn the foundations of growing and scaling a business the right way and much quicker than you are right now. So listen, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're between 50 and $250,000 and you want to learn business the right way, and if you want to succeed and have far more sales and far more impact much faster than you are right now, it's a no-brainer. I have overserved and underpriced this thing. Go check it out. It's fastfoundations.com. It's a five-month mastermind. It's everything I wish existed when I was getting started. That's how I built it, by the way. I literally just said, okay, what is everything I wish was there when I got started and how fast would I be able to learn it? And that's why we created this five-month mastermind. It is, I'm, I'm actually just going to say this, maybe the greatest mastermind ever created on the planet. I kid you not. Go check it out. Fastfoundations.com for any entrepreneur between fifty dollars and $250,000. Fastfoundations.com. Okay, let's get into this interview because David is a legend. I cannot wait for you to hear everything that we talk about. I mean, his story of how he was worth $100 million, but he wasn't happy and then he went broke and then made it all back. Like, this is a roller coaster ride of advice like you have never heard. Before. Now, I'm going to remind you, he's the CEO of Sports One Marketing right now, among many other things. And before that, he was the CEO of the most notable agency ever, Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. And he's also, this is why I really wanted to have him on, an award winning humanitarian. So he's been profiled by every single publication you could ever imagine out there, right? All you got to do is Google the guy. So Entrepreneur and Forbes, ESPN, Bloomberg, CNBC, Yahoo, Variety, you name it. As a matter of fact, actually, he was awarded Variety Magazine's Sports Humanitarian of the Year. How freaking amazing is that? When I say he represents everything that this show stands for, I mean, he is a perfect fit. He's also the creator and producer of Entrepreneur Magazine's hot new show, Elevator Pitch. I'm sure you guys will watch that. If not, go tune in. It's got over 40 million views so far. That thing is on fire. So listen, this man is a legend and he represents everything that this show stands for. And he is brilliant in what he teaches. This might be the episode that changes your life forever. So get ready, listen up, because this is one of our best episodes ever. All right, David, my friend, let me start by saying what an honor it is to have you on the show. How are you doing? Amazing, Chris. I can tell you that I'm blessed to do a lot of interviews and podcasts and TV stuff, but after doing some research and listening to your podcast, this is a highlight of my 2019 coming into the year. I'm so excited to do this podcast. Man, you know what? I received that. Normally, I would deflect it with some kind of joke or something. I received that. That is one of the best things that I could possibly hear from a legend like you. That means a ton. Thank you for that. 
yeah, this show's aligned with everything I believe in. And I can't wait to get really deep and discuss what makes us tick. All right, you and me both. So let's do that. I kind of start with rapid fire. It's a fun way to help my listeners get to know you in a hurry. And then if there's something really good that comes up that we want to circle back around on, we'll do that. Are you in? I'm all in. All right, I can start real easy. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Akron, Ohio till I was nine and then moved to San Diego. Ah, fellow Midwesterner, at least to start. Fuck guy. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big Wisconsin fan. Grew up in Wisconsin. Oh, that's great. Those are my the daughter's first two choices in college is Ohio State and Wisconsin. <laughs> Perfect. Where do you live now? I live in Orange County and have a beach house in San Diego. And what is your favorite quote? Be kind to your future self from Ooh, Lee Steinberg. I love that. What's one of your superpowers? Kindness. One of your favorite books besides one of your own? Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Of course, of course. What is one thing you're challenged by right now? Consistency. And who is someone who's totally changed your life? My wife. (laughs) You and me both. Three more. (laughs) What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments this far? Oh, the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. Mm, Wow, I can't wait to get into some of those that you have earned in your life like that. Two more. What is something generous you've done recently? I paid for a woman's groceries uh, yesterday uh, in line with me who just seems so distraught and it was the best gift I've ever received. Mm, That's the best feeling on the planet, isn't it? Sometimes it's those smaller moments of giving that are way better or at least equal to those great big moments of giving. No doubt. Last but not least, what are you grateful for today? I know gratitude is a big thing with you. Oh my gosh, everything. I'm grateful for every single thing I see. I give meaning to everything I see and that meaning is gratitude. So that's an easy one. (laughs) I love it. All right, so let's go a little bit deeper in the interview now. And I know most people always start out by saying, tell me your story. Or most people typically start out by talking about all of your incredible accomplishments and accolades, which obviously there are so many of, as I've mentioned in the intro. But I wanted to start by taking you back to when you were 33 years old, You had achieved this childhood dream, so to speak, of having everything you ever wanted, becoming rich, having the family, having, you know, the life that you had pictured. You owned everything you wanted to own, but you weren't happy. So you compensated by buying more and more and more and more, which a lot of us can identify with. Can you take us back to that moment in time? Yeah, uh, it was the first time in my life I wasn't happy. I think about it and get choked up because I had geared my entire life since I was five years old in Akron, Ohio, to be rich. Not because I wanted anything originally. It was just, I grew up happy even though I was poor. But the only time I wasn't happy is I'd catch my mom crying or sad about not having enough money for food or a car getting fixed or summer camp or college. And I decided in my mind at five that money was going to buy me happiness. The only thing that I was missing was money. And I achieved that. I attached all my happiness to achieving that and I could buy whatever I wanted. And I woke up, I built this beautiful home in Rancho Santa Fe and I had the Ferrari and the Porsche and the gorgeous wife and three daughters and everybody loved me. And I woke up looking at the ceiling the very first morning and the two words out of my mouth were, oh shit because I never felt so empty in my life. I didn't know what to do. I I was lost. And so I went down this journey of buying things and buying different things and buying more things. And then I started surrounding myself with people like that, that lived in scarcity, that lived in a world of not enough. And I ended up doing things I didn't want to do and 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 losing my attention, which then disconnected me from the power of intention. And sooner or later, I ended up losing everything. David, a lot of us can resonate with that story. We found ourselves somewhere in that similar story. A lot of the listeners have, and I know I certainly have. What was your identity during this time? It was a false identity. It was an ego-based identity. Uh, you know, that's why today I have two words on my nightstand. Most people would think it was thank you, but that's ingrained in my unconscious competency. The two words that still sit all over me is radical humility. I had a need to be right. I had a need to be offended. I had a need to be superior. I had a need to be separate, a need to be inferior, a need for fear. I had a need for anxiety and attack and anger and frustration. I was an ego-based creature that was so far in my own way that I almost even lost 
the one superpower of kindness that I had. <laughs> wow. This Okay, I see so much of myself in your story. I, I literally had to create this saying for myself as I was working through ego over the years. That was, uh, that was this. I say, ego is my greatest overhead. What comes up for you when I say that? That's the truth. Ego, I, I mean, there's only one thing that stands in my way from anything that I desire, and that's me. And when I say me, I mean that ego that edges goodness out of my life, that ego that that creates time as a barrier, that creates resistance, that creates void shortages and obstacles that are illusions. You know, when I earlier said, I truly believe that I give meaning to everything that I see. And if I'm an ego-based person and I have a lens that's based off of a fear of loss, then I have only a scarce environment where once I got out of my own way and I found my truth, my peace, my awareness, I was able to allow things to happen. I was able to access what I wanted. Wow. Okay. So I want to back up a little bit. Five years old, you already built the story that said money will buy me happiness. And sure enough, you went out there and you accomplished money in a big, big way. And then in 2009, that was a very formative year, let's call it. What happened? I had to claim bankruptcy. Uh, And the weird part about that when I talk to people is I had a lot of money. On paper, I had over $100 million. And so you don't go bankrupt overnight. It all started in 2007. Uh, My journey of what I call a quantum shift, I started living my life uh, in service. I started changing and and changing the paradigm of value where I only wanted to provide value that I trusted the universe. I shifted from being a manipulator somebody that oversold, back-end sold, manipulated and lied to get what they wanted. Not that I wasn't a kind person or a giving person. That's just the scarcity that I was in. And I was going through my quantum shift, but it came to a head while I was CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment, uh, the most notable sports agency in the world. I felt as if I was on the upswing again and all my bad choices and causes Uh, came to a head where I had to claim bankruptcy. Now, I will tell you that there's a certain day of my life that was the best day of my life. And it was the day that I actually had to go tell not only Lee Steinberg, who thought I was Midas and had hired me because of my great successes and the great image and brand that I gave him, but more importantly, my mother. And so uh, if you don't mind, I'll explain to you that, that poignant moment in my life. I had to go and I was worried when I woke up because, you know, here I claimed bankruptcy in 2009. My biggest fear in life had manifested itself. What you resist persists. I, I would have rather committed suicide as a young man than admit that I went bankrupt. That was the biggest failure I could ever think of for myself because I had based my entire happiness and success and brand and image and profile and my own self worth on the money that I made to be, you know, able to go and tell Lee Steinberg uh, that I had lost everything and, uh, you know, it was an incredible feat. But more than that, uh, the day that changed my life was walking over to my mom's house. Uh, remember, the reason I wanted to be rich was to buy my mom a house and a car. That, that, that was going to make me happy. And I had to walk over to my mom's house and not only tell her that I had gone bankrupt, which was very, very difficult. But I also had to tell her that I had forgot to take the na- her house out of my name and that I had lost her house and she would have to move. Oh, I cannot imagine. What did she say? How did this go down? That was the best thing that ever happened to me because she looked me, I'm going to choke up, but she looked me in the eyes and she said to me, are you okay? Do you need any money? Oh. Is there anything, anything I can do for you? And at that moment, As I was on my own quantum shift, my own journey, I realized that I had failed my mother. I I knew why my siblings were so successful. They all went to the Ivy Leagues. They all were great philanthropists and humanitarians and scholars and intellects and community members. But I had prided myself. I was so competitive. I wanted my mom to be proud of me. And yet I had missed the point. I missed the point that she had raised me to be unconditional. She had raised me to live with no judgments or conditions. She raised me to be of service. And I thought because I could buy her a house and a car and buy all these wonderful things for everyone that I I used to, my wife and my mom would tell me I'm lost. 
And I'd say, really? Because you guys can't afford anything. I had to pay for the wedding. I bought this house. I, I send you around the world. I, what are you talking about? I'm lost. And when she looked at me unconditionally without even blinking, telling me, can I help you? When I was kicking her out of her house, I said to myself, oh my gosh, I get it. I get it. I have been blessed with the ability to manifest abundance for myself, and I've wasted it like a moron, and I'm going to live my life of service. Everything's no longer for me. I've never been a victim, but it's no longer for me. It's through me. I'm going to manifest everything I desire, not for me, but through me for others, just like my mom. And that was awesome. Wow. You know, in 2009, Lori and I lost everything as well. Lori's my wife. And uh, yeah. I was living this this inflated false identity as well, just based on surface things. And I can totally identify with what you're saying when you say it's actually the greatest moment of your life because you actually get to say, what are my values? What is my real worth? And how do I want to show up for real this time? Yeah, it's awesome. It's so freeing. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I, 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 but I was going to say, my wife's uncle put something really nice. I overheard him. My wife was crying, scared, and said, I, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm really afraid. We've lost everything. I don't know, you know what Dave's going to do. And he said, you know, I've known that kid since he was nine years old. And my wife and I met at nine. And he said, I can't wait to see what he does with his back against the wall. Mm. And, and I really felt a freedom about, you know what, I'm going to find my frequency. I'm going to live my life not to please everybody else. I'm no longer going to care if people, I don't want them to love me for who I'm not. I'd rather than not like me for who I am. I mean, I was such a pleaser and I wanted to impress and, you know, all the false identity things that you're describing, I it resonates with me because I lived an empty life and I started to realize that I needed, to, again, to consistently every day, persistently without quit, enjoy the pursuit of my potential. And there is no, you know, people talk about the pursuit of happiness. Chris Gardner is a good friend of mine from that movie. Who, you know, he created the story. Mm -hmm. But I told Chris, I said, you should have named the, the movie Happiness is Pursuit. <laughs> yeah, right. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. This is incredible. Okay, so much value already. I, I literally have goosebumps over here right now. So we have a mutual friend, Tom Bilyeu, and the two of you sat down and talked on his show. And you had said something like, when you were at rock bottom, you remembered that there were four values that made you successful and you somehow lost sight of them. I know I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Yes. Can you share those four values with us? Oh, absolutely. In fact, my whole company is based on these four values. The first one is gratitude. Uh, because gratitude gives you perspective, right? You, I can tell you are a power of intention of perspective, meaning if people can control their perspective, they can control everything. And gratitude's the key to that, that it makes the past, it makes it wonderful. It makes the present even better and the future even brighter. If you're gracious, if you just say thank you before you go to bed and when we wake up, your whole life will change. So the first value is for sure gratitude. The second was forgiveness, which is empathy. And I learned that there's only one person to forgive myself. A valuable lesson that I always have had is I can't give what I don't have. That's why my motto has always been to make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. I believe that you can't help others unless you help yourself. But forgiveness, I mean, to have that peace, especially in my case where I wanted to feel worthy again, I wanted to forgive myself and really take advantage of the miracles, the lessons that I learned from the failures that I had. And you know, forgiveness was the key. I could be at peace and I could give forgiveness to others as well without that condition or judgment. And then third was accountability. Accountability to me is you know the ability to say, number one, I don't live below the line and blame, shame, or justification. I live above the line and ask myself two simple questions. What did I do to attract this to myself? And two, what am I supposed to learn from it? And I do not ever confuse, as my mom taught me, the difference between liability and accountability. People will confuse those two. They'll think, well, how can you be accountable for someone you know, hitting you from behind at a stop sign? I'm like, you idiot. That's liability. Accountability says, 
what did I do to attract the car hitting me? And what am I supposed to learn from it? And then finally, most importantly, effective communication. There's a duality to communication that most people don't understand. The first thing that we want to do to communicate effectively is to be inspired. So we need to communicate that that which inspires us. We need to connect to goodness, connect to whatever you believe in that inspires you. Then you can allow that inspiration in spirit, that power of intention to come through you to motivate others, not manipulate, but motivate others. So gratitude, empathy, accountability, and effective communication are the four things that I found that I had lost through my arrogant, ignorant journey of ego. How'd you get them back? You know, I started through meditation. This is a fabulous story. I went to India. Uh, This is when my quantum shift happened. And I met this lady sitting right next to me, little lady, and she was a medical doctor. And she looked at me and she said, are you okay? And at the time, I was very arrogant and lost. And I'm thinking in my head, yeah, you know, I'm more than okay. Do you know who I am? You know, that's the way. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. She goes, oh, she goes, but you're so full of light. She mm. goes, and you're blocking it. Whoa. And I kind of rolled my eyes like, oh my God, this would be a long trip to India. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I said, well, uh, what do you mean? She said, well, do you meditate? And that's when I really rolled my eyes and I go, meditate. I don't have time to meditate. I grew up with nothing and I've made everything myself and I own a Ferrari. And I, I mean, I literally laid into this lady, like who has time to meditate? You know, I am productive. And she, you know, I said, my wife meditates. I go, the problem I have with meditation is everybody that I know that meditates is sick, broke, uh, you know, sitting high on their mom's couch telling me they meditate. What good is that? I'm not dreaming about having a Ferrari. I own one. And she said, oh, that's too bad because I could teach you through meditation to vibrate faster. Mm. Now, I lost my mind. I was like, what does meditation have to do with vibration? <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, are you kidding me? And the lady said, well, do you know physics? I said, actually, I'm a math guy. I love physics. And she said, you know, everything uh, vibrates. The earth vibrates the slowest, plants, animals, humans, sound, light, and then thought. And she said, do you know what vibrates the fastest? And I looked at her and she had my curiosity now and my respect. Because I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. And I said, no, I have no idea what vibrates the fastest. And she said, the truth. Whoa. And my goosebumps. And she said, and let me tell you this, son. She said, you can only be aware of that which vibrates equal to or less than you. And I can teach you to raise your vibration so you can pursue the truth. And I was all in. I called my wife, told her I need to go to this workshop. She Googled the lady. I always joke around and say, I'm glad she didn't look like a supermodel because my wife would have thought, you know, because I was so (laughs) far from meditating that I was cheating on her. But like literally, you know, my wife couldn't believe that I was telling her that I was going to stay at a Theta meditation workshop in India and learn how to meditate. You know, in a matter of, you know, 16 hours of a flight, she wondered if somebody, you know, drugged me. (laughs) Wow. Do you know this woman still today? Have you ever gotten to express gratitude to her, towards her? Oh, I. Oh, I have had her do workshops for my business. Uh, Another great story, just as a lesson. So I I took a money workshop with her. Her name is Dr. Sangeeta Sahi. And I took this money workshop. I came home to my business partner and I'm like, oh my God, I've shifted my energy about money. I now understand how money can come through me, how I can attract more money. I go, I will make twice as much money immediately from what I learned. And my partner said, well, let's have her out for the whole company. I said, well, it's two days. You know, it'll probably cost us $100,000 for the whole company to go through this with the time off and what she costs. And I go, we can't do that. It'd be too expensive. And he looked at me and he goes, do you ever learn anything? I go, (laughs) like, you just told me you double the amount of money in one month. What if everybody could double the amount of money in one month? What's $100,000, you moron? So you know, we had her out for a money workshop. Uh, literally, uh, within a year, we tripled our revenue just from understanding the energy of money and the, the philosophy of money. And I still, to this day, run a money workshop uh, with all of my business. Ah, oh, that is awesome. Do you have a gratitude practice besides meditation? Absolutely. Um, n- number one, gratitude, like I said, is an unconscious competency of mine. It's ingrained in my genetics and my energetics. Uh, but the practice for me, beyond the daily use of being grateful is I still, like a five-year-old boy, I say thank you before I go to bed and when I wake up. 
every morning. And then I pray to God for 10 people that I can help. Mm. Um, that's my practice. That's incredible. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. So in your TED Talk, I think it was your TED Talk, if I remember correctly, you say that you grew up, and you said this earlier, literally wanting to be rich, right? At five years old, you said, I'm going to be rich. It's going to solve everything for me. How did you view money, let's say, as a young adult, and how do you view it now? Yeah, so I, money was happiness as a young adult, right? I attached all my happiness to money. When, when I was worried about money, I was unhappy. When I had a lot of money, I was happy. When I could buy things... I was happy as a young adult. I my self worth was based off of what my bank account and properties and and investments said, uh, you know, and and that's literally what money meant to me. Uh, today, money is, has a simple power. Uh, it's options, and those options are aligned with you know my core foundation, which is my personal values, my experiential values, my giving values, and receiving values. And ironically. The most important one and hardest one for me and others is my receiving values. Uh, you know, it's interesting because if I would bankrupt any one of my values, I would never bankrupt my personal values or my experiential values or my giving values, but I would always bankrupt my financial values because they mean nothing. But when I say those financial values or receiving values are so important is that most people don't understand that it's just as important to receive as it is to give. And I really think that if people want to change their lives, they just have to know two questions. Number one, how can I be of service? And two, do you know anyone that can help me? And both take radical humility, which is why those two words sit on my nightstand today. God, that is so good. Okay, so here you are today with a radically different view of money. What do you think the purpose of being successful? What do you think the purpose of making money is today? So I don't equate success to money, but the purpose of making money today for me is to allow me to give more. Like literally empower me to to have options to give more. And so I want to make a ton of money to help more people. So, you know, whether it's scholarships to college or community centers in Africa or giving money to those most relative to me, whether it be my wife, my children, my mom, my community, my city, my state, paying my taxes. You know, I, I'm one of those few people. And if you've ever gone out and seen our services that we have, our military services, our community services, uh, you know, our, our the, the conditions of our roads and all of those things, you know, I love making millions of dollars and I love paying millions of dollars in taxes uh, because I believe that's a form of giving. And, you know, if I had more time, I'd, you know, direct my giving in, in a more meaningful way. But, you know, because I want to keep focusing on making money, I'm okay paying a lot of taxes and helping people. It's going somewhere to help someone. That's so funny. I absolutely feel the same way. Do you have a favorite moment of giving that stands out to you? By the way, I ask everybody this question. It's a way to yeah. inspire other people with ideas on how they could give. So every holiday season, I have a giving lesson in my company and we invite the community in and I give money uh, to everybody to go out. And I used to give it to them to go out and do random acts of kindness to, you know, be creative with giving and, you know, pay for people's Starbucks and everybody in line, whatever they want to do and videotape it. And this year I did something that was my favorite is not only did I give money to give away, you know, allow these people to give. But I gave them extra money to give to other people to give away. Because giving to me is the most powerful thing in the world. Because if you give, serotonin is released in your brain biochemically and it makes you happy. If you receive, serotonin is released in your brain and it makes you happy. But the amazing thing about giving is everybody who witnesses the act of giving, serotonin is released and it makes them happy exponentially. Giving can turn this entire world around. If we all gave more, and I'm not just talking money, I'm talking about smiling, giving compliments, opening doors, picking up trash, putting the you know shopping cart back into his holsters, you know, all the different things. Those are forms of giving. Doing good deeds is giving. And I tell people all the time, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. That's all I ask. That is so good. I love that story. So let's kind of use that story to take a step in another direction here. You referenced a few ways now, the way that you run your businesses that are really, really cool and unique. For example, that giving story that you just shared. And earlier when you talked about bringing in the meditation teacher for everybody, you're 
an expert business coach at this point. I mean, you've experienced it all and you're a wealth of knowledge. And my listeners are all typically entrepreneurs. Now, here's where I'm going with this. You've authored a lot of successful best-selling books, but the one that really stands out to me, and confession, I haven't read it yet, is Compassionate Capitalism. Can you tell us what Compassionate Capitalism is? It stems historically from the old merchant servants. And there's been this disconnect, this separation between compassion and capitalism, consciousness and capitalism. And so I wanted to write a book to challenge people. Um, And the challenge is, why do you think that you have to be manipulative? Why do you think that you have to have scarce energy or live in a world of not enough or just enough in order to be a capitalist? Capitalism isn't invented. It was never created to be competitive. It was created out of abundance. It was created out of democracy, about sharing wealth. And what happened is, is that we became ego-based and scarce and became so competitive that we forgot the purpose of capitalism, which is to allow our abundance to come through us for the benefit of others. And so what the book tries to do is empower other people empower other people to understand that making money is a great thing as long as you make it the right way and challenge yourself to make it in the right way and then use it for the right purposes. And when you create the complete cycle, the complete circle of compassionate capitalism, you will have more than you ever dreamed of for yourself but more importantly for others. Wow, that is so, it's exactly what we stand for and, and exactly what we teach here. I'm so glad that you you shared it in that way. So do you think that we're entering into a time where if our companies are not attached to a social cause or are not attached to social good, that those who are voting with their dollar are gonna start to vote us out of business? You know, I, I help facilitate the Just Index and you know, I, I think there's a trend moving that way because the truth vibrates the fastest. And I think that those dollars that hold energy are attracted to a higher vibration, to a higher energy. And I believe that companies have been challenged to raise their own vibrations so that not only do they need to make a money, a lot of money, but they need to help a lot of people. And I, I, I don't discourage companies from helping those people most relative to them, though. You know, I believe even in my own life that I've been blessed to be able to attract money my entire existence. It's, I know it's not normal to be a millionaire nine months out of law school, and I know it's not normal to be able to rebound from bankruptcy in a matter of weeks. Uh, but I, I do it with a purpose of I'm going to share my abundance first with my wife, then my children, then my mom then my siblings, then my cousins, then my city, then I'm sorry, my business, then my city, then my state, then my country, and then even the world. And my objective now, my pursuit is to attract enough abundance to support all of those and empower all of those to do the same. Because if I can empower others to empower others to be happy, that you know, I, I might be able to reach six million people with my podcast. But if those six million people could each reach a thousand people, I get to six billion really fast. Mm-hmm. And so my goal is always to whatever I'm doing, economically, energetically, genetically, empower others to empower others to be happy. God, that is so good. I absolutely love that. Kind of sticking on this uh, entrepreneur track here. I heard a quote from you that was. Awesome. Because I've brought this up a couple of times on the show and I really want people to get this. And you had said, I forget who was interviewing you, but you had said, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they're giving you the best advice. And I wanted to to bring this up or ask you about this because so many people are building their businesses and, and building their finances by taking advice from friends and family and neighbors and people who are just conveniently located next to them. What are your thoughts on this? Can you expand on that quote? Yeah, I think it's even more than people that are conveniently by them. It's people who love them and care about them and they admire. I had a decision to make out of law school. One was to be an oil and gas litigator and make a lot of money. And the other graduating you know, well in law school was to not be a lawyer and to sell legal research online in the early 90s when there was really no such thing as the internet. My mother, who has only given me 
you know, the best of herself, as I described earlier, uh, without blinking, when I asked her what I should do, told me I needed to be a real lawyer because the internet was a fad. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the epitome, right? I would have taken and listened to her, a second grade teacher who had no technology experience, knew nothing about sales, nothing about, you know, high end enterprise sales and nothing about technology or the internet. If I would have taken her advice, I would have resented her. And what happens a lot of times is that we take the advice of people who care about us. We do what we believe they want us to do. And then we resent them when we get what they want for us. Mm. And you, you know, it, it's a terrible flaw because you don't want to ruin those relationships. So I say, always have three mentors. People that sit in the position that you want to be in. I think the the biggest accelerator of our economy, the biggest accelerator of our country is that we need to teach everyone to ask for help. And not just ask for help, but ask the appropriate people for help. You're giving a gift to somebody. I mean, put yourself in the position. How good do you feel when someone comes up to you and says, oh my gosh, you know, Chris, you're so great at this. Can you help me with it? Feels great. (laughs) It feels great, but we cheat people because we think it makes us less. Mm. It actually makes us more and it makes the other person more. I still today have mentors for everything that I want. And I and I tell people all the time, accelerate your experience by asking for help. And then your leaps and bounds beyond where you would have been without paying the dummy tax. <laughs> That's so good. So fictional scenario, and then we'll put a bow on the entrepreneur piece here. You're in an elevator. And a young entrepreneur, one of your fans comes up and asks, you know, hey, David, David, you know, can you give me your best piece of advice for me to grow my business and be successful? What would you say? Stay in business. I just had this happen to me today. A young entrepreneur came to my office. I was waiting outside and just said, can I have five minutes of Mr. Meltzer's time? He asked me that exact question. (laughs) What people don't understand, the reason that 90% of all startups fail is because they lose the objective of a startup. The objective of a startup is to stay in business. And I know that sounds silly, but all of the companies, you know, look at Amazon. You think Bezos was such a genius? What was Amazon when it started, right? It was an online bookstore. Mm -hmm. Okay, now look what it is today, right? The first $100 billion company is more than an online bookstore. And so what he did well was he stayed in business. And even through the growth, you know, he stayed in business. People overextend over, right? He took on debt. He just built and grabbed, you know, real estate and did exactly what he wanted to do. The greatest entrepreneurs understand one thing. My goal still today, every morning when I wake up after I've done my meditation and been thankful and asked for 10 people that I can help, I go through a tiny little plan to guarantee that I'm in business tomorrow because I know if I can continually stay in business that I will ask for enough help, I'll be of enough value and ask for enough and be of enough service to others that eventually my business will evolve into something unbelievable as I allow the universe to be creative. I allow the universe to guide me in the right direction, to maximize the potential of my business. I've been in business 10 years with Warren Moon, and my business looks nothing like I thought it would. And it absolutely looks nothing what I planned it to look like. And it absolutely looks nothing like it looked like last year. (laughs) But I managed to keep it in business every day. That's amazing. That's great advice. It's so funny that that actually happened to you today. And then I asked the question. Crazy, right? awesome, yeah. (laughs) So kind of sticking with the topic of wealth and happiness, I now want to add another adjacent to it. And that is the component of philanthropy. And as the CEO of you know Steinberg Sports and Entertainment, you've negotiated over $2 billion in sports and entertainment contracts for like the most famous athletes and some of the most famous celebrities in the world. So here's my question. Using that sample, what percentage of these individuals would you say were happy? What percentage lived a life of contribution or giving back? And was there any correlation between the two of them? Absolutely. Well, I, I think on on average, we're a little bit skewed at Lee's office because one of the requirements of all of our athletes and celebrities that we represented was that they had to have a foundation uh, that and create one about a passion that they had to give back. What a cool standard. Uh, it, was, it was a qualifier. Most people didn't understand. There's two reasons behind it. One, because of the competitive, scarce nature of sports agentry, we knew that if 
a client was enlightened enough to give back to his community, that they were more apt to stick with us, that they wouldn't just be swayed by another agent, uh, that they were enlightened, that they saw things in the right direction. Two, it made them more marketable. Uh, it made it us easier to negotiate a second contract because they had ties to the community. It made it easier for us to have marketing deals because they gave back and had a brand and a profile. It allowed us to put them into the business section and the life section and the philanthropy section other than the sports section. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons, but I will tell you just beyond Lee Steinberg and just in general, uh, that people who give are happy, regardless of what they give. People who give are happy. And that's why, you know, this year in my holiday training, I wanted to empower people that aren't feeling so well the power of giving. And I have a wonderful story and video that's out there with a guy that, you know, there's two homeless guys. One, when we gave the money to, he went to bought beer. The other one had us take him to the grocery store to go shopping for all the people on the street that he knew. No way. And he, and the coolest thing is he started to cry and he said, oh my gosh, it's been years since I've been able to do anything like this. I feel so good. Do you think if I sobered up that next year I could participate in the exercise with you guys? And then he said, what I really wish is I had a little bit of extra money to take my mom out. I haven't taken her out to dinner. And so we bought him a gift card to take his mom out to dinner. And he was bawling. He he literally said, I have not been this happy. I have now an inspiration to get sober. And you know, you, you just the power of giving his happiness because it's a pursuit. It's just the truth. And the truth vibrates the fastest. And I will tell you that I have people that are extremely wealthy, though. And they are the most miserable people in the world, not because they don't give, but moreover, that they live in a world of not enough. That no matter what they have, and I've lived in this world, and it sounds like, Chris, you did as well, mm -hmm. that you know you could have a $40 million home in Newport Coast here in California, and they still live in this scarce world of not enough. No matter what happens, there's never enough. And they keep on buying things and giving things. You know, I, I think you know, there's different ways of giving. When you're just at a gala giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars while you've drank too much, that's an empty feeling. Mm -hmm. Sometimes right? it even comes from ego. Yeah, exactly. And that's where it stems from. But when, you know, for example, one of the nicest th things that I do for myself is every gift, I have four children, every gift that I buy for my kids, I buy two of. And the reason I do it is I get to go down to the homeless shelter and anonymously, I give all the gifts that I've given my children to the homeless shelter. And then I get to sit at Christmas and watch the kids open it without them knowing that I gave it. Mm. And I am a sobbing, crying baby. And I tell my wife, I go by myself. I tell her, this is what I want for Christmas. This oh is, this is what I want. This is my gift. And I go, please just give me an hour and a half. And I, I, I just want to watch and let me witness what it means to give. What's the number one cause that keeps people stuck in this place of scarcity, even when they have everything, how, why are they stuck there and how could they get out of it? Yeah, it's fear. It's an ego-based fear of loss. And the way, to get, the way to get out of it is a consistent behavior. You got to lower the bar, uh, just like exercise or nutrition or any other habit that you want to do. And that's why I encourage so many people just to say thank you before they go to bed and when they wake up. Now, it, it teaches them two lessons. One, the power of gratitude, but also the power of consistency and the difficulty that the human body, mind, and soul has with consistency, how far we get in our own way. I will tell you, and, and I, I do now, I taught this idea of say thank you for 30 straight days. I built a free app called the Gratitude App you know, to teach people the power and to, to remind people about giving. And it's, it's amazing because while I was teaching it, what they didn't know, I used to tell people the easiest way to be happy is to say thank you. How many of you think you can say thank you for 30 straight days? Everybody would raise their hand. I then would say the saddest thing is by tonight, half of you won't say thank you. But tomorrow morning, another half of you won't say thank you. Within three days, almost all of us will forget to say thank you. I've given you the easiest way to change your life. I've studied physics, quantum physics, and metaphysics. I've given you a proven methodology that nobody will ever deny can make you happy to be grateful. And yet we're so far in our own way, we can't do it. And while I was teaching that even, it took me 
nine months to say thank you for 30 straight days. Oh, wow. So it's Myself. tougher than it sounds. Yeah. And I challenge everybody. You can use my app if you want to give me reminders. Find Where can we find the gratitude app? It's just, it's just uh, download Meltzer Gratitude from the Apple Store. Uh, you know, it's it's just a simple app, but I just did it to help people remember to say thank you. I love it. Okay, I'm actually going to download it and do it. I absolutely love that. Matter of fact, speaking of doing things, okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. The next time that you mobilize a team of people to go give money to encourage others to share that money they're giving, can I come along? I'll even contribute financially. I just want to be there to experience it. You're on my invite list for next next holiday. We we are going to do it every Christmas. We do it. So I have a Christmas training, I have a New Year's training, I have a Thanksgiving training, but the Christmas training, so it'll be probably right before Christmas, you are more than welcome to come and enjoy what I think is the best training that I can give. David, I literally can't wait. This is going to be the coolest thing ever. Okay. So what are you working on right now that really excites you? Uh, well, number one, esports really excites me. Meta World Peace and I invested in Splice and Delaware North has merged with us. It's probably the best investment that I've made. Uh, that excites me because it really combines my skills, knowledge, and desire. Sports, technology, agentry, marketing, all of that is combined in what's going to be one of the biggest sports of, of the world. I think it'll even be in the Olympics faster than anyone thinks. Uh, so that's really exciting. Uh, my TV show, Elevator Pitch, uh, always has me excited. We're in the fourth season and uh, my podcast. I'm writing a new book with McGraw-Hill on business strategies, uh, which will be coming out next year. Uh, I'm the chairman of Unstoppable. One of the cool things is I did 50 birthday parties for charity over this 2018 year. I turned 51 January 11th. On January 9th, I have my last and final birthday party, uh, the 50th in Las Vegas at CES. I've been able to raise enough money to build a community center and Hopefully with this last event, I'll have a second community center built in the Masamari and the Bogani in, in Africa. Uh, I work especially with over 40 charities, raising millions and millions of dollars uh, the best that I can through sponsorship and media. And uh, with the graciousness of my business partner, Warren Moon, we give scholarships through the Crescent Moon Foundation uh, to kids to go to secondary school, which means college, technology school, whatever it is, junior college. We give scholarships based on only one thing, your community give back. So if you yourself are at risk and are enlightened enough to give back to the community, we give those scholarships as well. Um, those are the, the professional things that have me excited. And uh, as always, most exciting is I have a 19, 17, and 14-year-old daughters and an eight-year-old son uh, who I somehow have been able to manage to show them how to be happy. And I, I have healthy, happy children. And it's the greatest greatest accomplishment uh, of my life is to be so happily married with these beautiful, happy, healthy children. Mm, how do you want them to de- define success when they're full-blown adults? <laughs> By happiness, you know, I, I want them to, 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 you know, look back and just say, wow, I've lived such a happy, healthy life and I've helped other people live happy, healthy lives. And You know, to me, they will be huge successes if they're happy and healthy and they can empower others to be happy and healthy. Mm, I love it. Okay, I want to respect your time. So uh, before I let you go with the last question here, take a moment to highlight Unstoppable Foundation because I love that foundation. I've been to a couple of galas. I think what Cynthia started over there is outstanding. Um, give, give Give them a plug. Yeah, so Cynthia started it 10 years ago on her 50th birthday and she raised money instead of taking gifts. That's why I did my 50 for 50. Uh, and I'm the chairman of Unstoppable. And what we do is we create a sustainable economy, basically, in Africa. Uh, so we provide educational and financial services, healthy water, medical care, uh, all these different pillars. And we have impacted over 75,000 people already. And we have our first college led by Jack Canfield and Bob Proctor and myself with a whole bunch of different content. And then we have high schools and we have elementary schools along with everything else. And now we have our first sustainable. So the idea was for us to leave. (laughs) And the coolest thing is over the 10 years, we now have our own sustainable communities where we have backed out of the communities and all of the programs that we have implemented 
financial programs, health programs, you know, nutrition programs, school programs. They're all sustainable. They fund themselves, they run themselves, and we're not a part of it. And we're just opening more and more communities every single month. And we raise millions of dollars. And it's an extraordinary experience. And, you know, people ask me all the time, Dave, there's enough in America. Why do you have to support, you know, people in Africa? Well, first of all, we're all one. But two, why not support both? I just, I don't like the limiting beliefs. I don't like the just enough attitude. There's more than enough. And give yourself the blessing to give. Support everybody that you can support. I promise you, it will come back to you unconditionally, rapidly, and accurately. Everything you want will be provided for you by giving to others. Amen. And if anyone wants to donate, we'll put this in the show notes as well, of course, but unstoppablefoundation.org. It's a great foundation. So thank you for highlighting that. All right. So where can we find you? Where should we follow you? Where can we tap into into, uh, all your greatness? Oh, you're awesome. Instagram's cool, at David Meltzer. LinkedIn, David Meltzer. And my website is www.com. D Meltzer, my first initial last name.com. Great places to find me. I do, I send everyone my book. I pay for shipping. Uh, you know, I don't make money from anything that I, that I do. I don't sell off the back of the stage. I don't sell all my things. I'm here to empower others. I, I make money from doing my business and giving to others. So please follow me, share my content. If you need something, ask. I, I live my life of service. You're giving me a blessing by asking for my help. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate this time, Chris, and an opportunity to help others. Outstanding. Thank you for all that. Okay, last question. I ask everybody this question, and I think I'm especially curious to hear what your answer is going to be. So why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success? Because I believe we all are, number one, connected. So your pursuit of success is my success. But moreover, everyone has their own frequency. And we give meaning to what we see. And so what we're pursuing only can help other people. And I, I think there's there's no, it, it's still a matter of scarcity that we have to allow people to shine. When you allow others to shine, you liberate others to shine, you liberate yourself to shine. We increase the vibration of everyone. A tree has no branches. So I pray for people's happiness. I pray for their success. I pray for their pursuit because if they pursue and they're happy, it just creates more happiness, which Believe it or not, I believe affects me personally. So, you know, to get in the way of that would only be to get into my own way. Mm, such an awesome answer. What a great way to put a bow on this thing. David, you're a gift to the world, clearly. Your journey, you know, with both its high points and its low points have been a gift to the world because look how everything's turned out. And the fact that you gave us this time here today has been a gift as well. So I cannot express enough gratitude. Thank you for being on the show. Anytime, Chris, anything I can do to be of service. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.